Welcome to Verity. I'm your host, Felicia Masonheimer, an author, speaker, and Bible teacher. This podcast will help you embrace the history and depth of the Christian faith, ask questions, seek answers, and devote yourself to becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. You don't have to settle for watered-down Christian teaching. And if you're ready to go deeper, God is just as ready to take you there. This is Verity, where every woman is a theologian. Well, we're already in episode five of the Honest Marriage series. Wow. Can you believe that we're this far? Yeah. It's going by fast. It is. And today we're going to be talking about another season of life that goes by very fast. Pregnancy. <laughs> Doesn't seem like that would be the case, though, for the woman. Um, Probably not, actually, now that I'm thinking back. That's the thing. When you're pregnant... After you have the baby, you kind of get amnesia mm. of what the pregnancy was like. That's why babies are so cute. That's why people keep having them. <laughs> because they're so cute. But we are talking about pregnancy and postpartum today and the impact that those have on marriage. And if you're new to the Honest Marriage series of the Verity podcast, this is just a casual conversation between myself, Felicia Masonheimer, and my husband, Josh. Hello. Talking about what scripture says about being Christian people who are married to one another. And so we're sharing our story and the ups and downs that we've walked through in our almost eight years of marriage and hoping that through our journey, some of you are encouraged and that you're able to have some thought-provoking conversations with your spouse or with your friends if you're single. And so for this episode, I was thinking about what verses we could use for Mm. our discussion. And there are verses about pregnancy in the Bible, but what we're really talking about is a principle of care for one another and love for one another during what can be a very stressful season and a season of transition. And so I looked at verses about caring for others and one of the verses that came up was actually very different than most most of them. And I was really impacted by it. It's Exodus 17, 12. It's just a one little portion of a story about the life of Moses. And it says, But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other, So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So the context of this is that there was a battle going on between the Israelites and one of the Canaanite inhabitants. And as long as Moses held his hands in the air, they prevailed. And if he dropped his hands, they began to lose the battle. So how does that... Like apply what what inspired you to come across this passage as far as caring for someone in a situation like this? I think what impacted me about this story in this particular verse is that, you know, in drawing a parallel between a story like this in our own modern lives, we have to make sure that we're accurately exegeting the passage. So we don't want to just take the principle and say, oh, this applies to me without doing that appropriately. But what we see here is that 
Moses needed other people in order to be faithful to what God was calling him to do. Mm. And other people were blessed through that faithfulness. So it was this like community effort of faithfulness that resulted in victory for Israel. And, you know, the family is the first community of faith. It's that first place where discipleship happens. Hmm. And we talk about that a lot. Josh and I talk about it. We talk about it at Every Woman a Theologian. But I, I just think that the verse was really powerful to me because of that idea of holding one another up so you can complete the call of God on your life and on your family. Yeah, that's insightful. So caring for one another and loving on one another isn't just about like being cared for and being on the recipient end. And it's not just about who can care the most for you or, you know, like Moses was just like, you know, I like my arms being held up. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> like, but Romans twelve ten actually talks about loving one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. So it's talking about outdoing one another in your affection, the platonic affection, which is just like just caring for the person and lifting them up, admonishing them and encouraging them. And so I think that's kind of like what we wanted to talk about today is just how we can you know, lift one another up and not allow it to be a competition or where, you know, someone is caring all the time and then they're like, well, I haven't been cared for in a while. I've been doing all the caring, like what's in it for me? Mm -hmm. And that's, so that's, you know, a very unhealthy mentality, but we wanted to discuss how we can kind of flip the switch on that and have, you know, a very affectionate, Selfless mentality. Yeah, I love that that terminology for it. And one of the times when that's really difficult is during pregnancy and postpartum Mm -hmm. because you're under a lot of stress as a couple. There's a lot of stressors internally and oftentimes externally or your, your normal everyday external stressors are aggravated. And you're kind of forced to be the recipient. This recipient of care? Yeah. Like, you know, when you're like laid up after a pregnancy, oh, you yeah. know, you want to, you know, contribute and all, but same time, you know, you can't and you like, you know, some don't re- receive much help, but you can't really contribute. And so it's kind of, it's hard for, you know, both of you really. For the husband and the Mm -hmm. wife. To feel like there is like a give and take relationship. Yeah. So what you're saying is that for women who've had the baby, sometimes like it can feel like you're in a position where you have to be able to receive Mm -hmm. help and you're you're dependent. Yeah. And you kind of feel like dead weight sometimes, I'm sure. Yeah. I know. Like when I was pregnant and sick. I don't get super nauseous, but I have a autoimmune disease triggered by pregnancy that really terribly affects my skin. And yeah, there's times when you just feel like I need you to work full time and I need you to take care of me and I need you to take care of these kids because I'm, you know, exhausted or I'm 
you know, sick or whatever the case may be. So it can be really hard to feel super dependent. And then vice versa, I think there's also in some situations wives who are pregnant and feel like their husbands don't care at all or like Mm. aren't very attentive or don't pay attention to their needs and aren't compassionate. Yeah. And I think that's a dangerous mentality to have of like, you know, oh, like I'm sick, you should be taking care of me or, you know, I'm pregnant. But if, you know, there is some laziness on his part, then it it's not a very good situation. So you, when altogether. you say, yeah. So when you say dangerous mentality, are you saying like, if they start to, like in extreme cases of like entitlement, like, yeah. oh, I'm pregnant and you must wait on me hand and foot, like right. that kind of a thing, which is an extreme case, not a normal case. I think right. most women aren't like that. <laughs> but sometimes it is merited for them to be like, he never takes care of me because maybe he doesn't. Right, exactly. Right. There are men out there who don't have any compassion on the pregnancy journey. And I do think, I mean, what do you think about this? You have taken, what, two birthing classes? A total of like 18 weeks of birthing classes. So you have a really good grasp on what pregnancy does to a woman's body, what what that process is like, Mm -hmm. how it feels for her. And I think it was very enlightening to go to those classes and not just like learn alongside you, um... I think, like, it's it's not really a popular thing anymore because, like, back in the 90s, you know, you'd go to Lamaze with your wife and do the <laughs> breathing exercises. I think and, they still do that. I'm not sure. But. Yeah, I'm sure. But, like, you know, there's a little bit of, uh, I don't know, like a trend, but now it's, like, just... It's not thought much of anymore of like going to the birthing classes and together. Um, yeah, together. Mm-hmm. Like it's just a kind of a thing of the past for yeah, most people. It might be. I know that a lot of the birthing classes are a lot shorter now. They're at the hospital. They're like you know two or three weeks sometimes. Our just as an aside, the birthing class that we took was a Bradley class, and it was twelve weeks long, and it was extremely helpful. It was a little expensive, but it was totally worth the money. And then we went through another six-week class with our second child because we switched midwives and she required the education part for her patients. So between the two of us, we had two of those babies. We had 18 weeks of birthing education. Certified doula. Josh is basically a certified doula. (laughs) But I think your point is good in that because you went through those classes, you got a really good understanding of like the nutritional needs and how hard breastfeeding could be and what was necessary for a birth to happen and all of this stuff. Yeah. And most of all, like the demand on like your body. Yeah. The toll it takes. Do you remember like when you first thought about that, like what your response was or how you felt about it? Uh, it was a while ago, but it was, I mean, I, I think I did have a point where just a lot of compassion, you know, kind of struck me and 
I was like, wow, like that <laughs> takes that much to, you know, put out a baby. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> so knowing that, that pregnancy is, can be very, very hard on women's bodies and that they're going through a time when their hormones are changing and, you know, they're tired and women's because of their hormonal changes, some women have a really high sex drive during pregnancy. Some women have a really low sex drive during pregnancy, which is its own effect in and of itself. You know, that impacts your intimacy in the bedroom, which can impact, you know, how you relate to one another. And, you know, that changes some things. So what would you say, like, if you could give some advice to a husband whose wife is pregnant with their first child on how he could support her during pregnancy, what would you say? Find out what her cravings are (laughs) and get a lot of them and always have them around. (laughs) Even if it's pickles or pickled herring or <laughs> yeah like you know she depended on the woman of course like as everyone's different you know some people it really takes a toll on their body to you know develop the baby and there's the first trimester is typically the sickest for most and I think you need a lot of grace for that especially you know, if they're always like feeling sick when you're trying to do things or live life or mm-hmm. like take the kids somewhere or even drive in the car, it's like, oh, I feel sick. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm not even swerving. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I, I think it does take, you know, a lot of patience in that regard. And just if if you like you make a point to have that patience as well as reassure her. That's one thing. Reassure her that she's still beautiful, even though she is has a baby grown in her. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was really important for you, just to be reassured that like you are still attractive, and you know, just affirm her mm-hmm. and your attraction to her. Mm. Yeah, that makes a big difference. Um, I think that during pregnancy too. One thing to remember as the wife is that though we're carrying the baby, there is an element of compassion that we have to have for our husbands. So sometimes what can happen during pregnancy is it's all about the mom. And obviously our bodies are changing and growing this baby. It's a huge miracle. It's a beautiful part of Christian marriage. It's it's the design, one of the primary designs of sex is procreation. It's an important part of God's design. However, at the same time, you have to remember that your husband is going through a lot of changes too. He's going through this emotional transition to being a dad, and that can be really hard. Sometimes guys really struggle at work because they're like, holy cow, I am becoming a provider and I want to make sure I can make ends meet. And so they become more stressed or maybe they didn't have a great dad and they start to think, oh my gosh, how am I going to be a good dad to this child? And so there's, there's a lot of factors for your husband too, that I think don't get talked about because pregnancy is mainly about the mom. And so I have had three babies 
and I've had baby showers and I've been celebrated and it's been wonderful. But I do think that for the most part, when I was pregnant, people never asked about Josh or how he was doing or how he felt about it. It was always me because I had the baby inside me, but it's his baby. And I do think there's an element of compassion that has to happen there in order for a marriage to thrive during pregnancy. Hmm. Yeah. Especially if I'm the one holding up her arms. (laughs) Yeah. If we're going back to that analogy of like holding up someone's arms, you're taking, in my mind, you're taking turns holding up one another's arms Mm -hmm. to use the Moses analogy. Like sometimes he'll be holding you up and sometimes you'll be holding him up as you walk through this really exciting, beautiful time. If you're listening to this marriage series, there's a good chance that you or someone you love is married. And that's fantastic because on December 7th, my brand new co-authored marriage book is launching into the world. It's called The Flirtation Experiment. And if that title intrigues you, good, because I can't wait for wives to pick this book up and be encouraged and equipped to pursue their husbands in ways they maybe never expected to do so. When I wrote this book, I was looking back on a year when I was really struggling to cultivate a relationship with Josh. I felt lonely, I felt disconnected, and I realized that I could wait for him to change it or I could make the change. And so I made a list of 30 flirtations, all different kinds of ways to show him that I loved him. And through this experiment, I found that I actually was changed. I co-authored this book with my friend Lisa Jacobson, who's been married 28 years to my eight years, and we alternate chapters showing you the ideas that we used to cultivate an intimate and fun, romantic, and flirtatious marriage. You can pre-order the book now anywhere books are sold, from Amazon to Barnes & Noble to Christian Book, or you can go to theflirtationexperiment.com to get two free chapters in the introduction and to be notified when the book launches. I hope you guys will grab it. We have some awesome bonuses for those who pre-order, and I'm excited to get this book into your hands. So the second thing I want to talk about, because I want to keep us on track so that we don't take up too much time, is the postpartum season. So pregnancy, you're anticipating this little baby, And you have this little baby and sometimes the birth is pretty smooth. Sometimes it's complicated or traumatic emergency C-sections, things like that happen. And either way, you're going to have a significant recovery process. So if you were to tell young husbands how they can support their wives in the postpartum season, what would your advice be? Well, I think that there's definitely like a lot of different outcomes from the birth, you know, that depended on the person, uh, you know, recovery time. And, and it can be a really hard time for a lot of people. So I think also men, the first thing that comes to mind is that it, it can take a number of weeks for the woman to heal to the point they can have sex. And <laughs> so that's, you know, always the biggest concern. <laughs> Um, for some people, and I, I think that, you know, that has to be, like, affirmed with her that you still love her regardless of not being able to share that connection. Mm-hmm. 
and you just like need to like support her through that because she's spent like she's just drained and though it's such a blessing to have the baby like there she has to go through some serious recovery to re-knit herself and so I think like I previously would get you a book and <laughs> lock you in your room and be like you know you're upstairs for a reason because you can't go downstairs and you're just stay in your room don't come out and I'll bring you your meals and it was so sweet but that I think allowed her to have a quicker recovery because mm-hmm. she's not having to you know spend her energy on things that are unnecessary she can you know sleep and heal and feed the baby when it needs it and then you know just be cared for and enjoy the peace that, that comes after that yeah I've said we've had, we have three children, ages six, four, and one. And so our one-year-old obviously was born last year. And he was the first baby I had that Josh was home more than five days after I had him. With the other kids, he was home, I think, five days with Adeline and yeah. maybe three or four with Eva. It was a long weekend with Eva. <laughs> yeah. Which... That opens a whole can of worms on maternity leave and paternity leave and all the problems there. But it is the nature of living in the U.S. that that's just how it is for a lot of families. And that's how it was for us. And so with our most recent baby, we actually had Josh home. Josh was home for that postpartum time. And he he did that. He He bought me a book and he made me stay in my room and he brought me my meals and I got to rest and sleep and feed the baby. And my recovery was so much faster because he cared for me and he was sensitive to my body's needs. And he knew how my body worked and what my body needed, which is what those birthing classes did, I think, Mm. Um, really helped with just giving him the perspective to have compassion. I think sometimes we don't have compassion on things because we don't understand them. We don't understand the experience. And I do think a lot of men just don't know what it takes to have a baby. And birthing classes kind of stand in for what maybe the family did back, you know, years and years ago in history where they would have been more aware of maybe how that worked because people were having babies in homes all the time. But whatever the case, I think that that the birthing classes really gave him perspective. And then he actively chose to show me compassion during that time. And it, it helped my recovery be 10 times better than with our previous two children. And that was just such a gift. So obviously um, not everyone will have their husband home for, you know, two, three, four weeks after they have a baby. I've experienced less than that two times, but I think that really the biggest part of what you did was that you had the heart of compassion for my experience. And that was what was so helpful. Yeah. Okay. Before we wrap up this episode, I do want to circle back around to the sex issue because you mentioned that a lot of guys will be thinking about that, you know, four to six weeks abstaining. And a lot of women will be thinking about it too, because a lot of women have high sex drives in marriage as well. And some women are the higher drive spouse. And so they might be the ones who are more interested and are yet still healing. 
And so Josh, do you have any thoughts on just having compassion? I know you already mentioned a few things, but just the mentality we should have towards sexuality in marriage and like our rights to it, especially around pregnancy and postpartum. Yeah. I think, you know, the Bible says that you should only abstain for a time when you both agree on it. But I think it kind of goes without saying that like (laughs) a medical reason is kind of like a forced agreement. So, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) um, you know, it's just something that you have to be considerate about. And, you know, it doesn't mean that, like, you can't do anything. It's just, you know, like, what you're not able to do for medical reasons. But what would you say, because I've gotten messages about this before, what would you say when a wife says, well, my husband heard from the doctor that we can't have sex for four to six weeks, And he just doesn't think he can make it that long. And he wants me to do X, Y, and Z. What would you say in that circumstance? Not as a counselor, but as just a husband, a Christian husband. I think that would depend on like what she's feel feels comfortable with. And, you know, obviously there's alternatives, but like, what is, you know, the, like the huge need there and is there a healthy relationship there that would allow the comfort of alternatives do you think that i'm not trying to ask leading questions but like i've i guess i've wondered as a wife why some a man who maybe lived as a celibate single man for years can't wait 4 to 6 weeks for his wife to recover i think everyone gets used to things and they don't like change. So there is a matter of habit and tolerance and just, you know, it's a, it's different than what they're used to. So having something taken away is never a pleasant thing for people, but sometimes it just has to be something you're understanding about Mm -hmm. and consider it. And I guess to, when we talked about in our sexual sin episode, if that's a part, if that's playing Mm. a a part in it. Yeah. I think you have to like have open communication with one another and, you know, have that talk where you're like, you know, I don't know, like I'm struggling with like waiting for you. um, To be well. Yeah. And it's like making it difficult for me to stay like holy so maybe that would be like an allowable um you know opportunity for her to be more comfortable with an alternative hmm. and we're obviously not listing out alternatives we keep saying the word alternatives here but i don't know if if this will be censored or not <laughs> i don't know if you, if you say the, if you say certain words if it'll be censored i should probably look into that but Obviously, there are biblical approaches to things that you can do outside of sex that leadeth to babies. (laughs) But I just think that, like, basically what you're saying is there has to be understanding and compassion on both sides. Mm -hmm. That the husband can't be like, well, I'm entitled. It's been six weeks, so I need to be able to have sex with you, regardless of how you're feeling. There has to be an understanding. But there also does have to be a compassion from the wife 
because yes, he should be able to abstain that entire time. And he shouldn't be saying like, I need this or else, you know, that's unhealthy and selfish, but also to understand that if you were being intimate on a regular basis, frequently, and then, you know, you have to take six weeks off, then yeah, there's going to be a pattern that's been interrupted. And there has to be some compassion for that. And of course, we're, we're using the example of the man wanting to be intimate while the woman is on bed rest. But obviously, sometimes the wife oftentimes is higher drive. So it's not to say that that doesn't happen at all. And that's happened in our marriage. We've had ups and downs where one spouse was higher drive and the other was mm-hmm. at different times. I think there's a lot of assumption like, oh, like, he, you know, I'm all gross. He doesn't want to have sex with me. Like just coming out of pregnancy. Are you, are you quoting me? Is that what you're, you're are you quoting someone you know? <laughs> no. <laughs> so like, you know, maybe she's wanted to all along and he was like, wow, she hasn't wanted to all along. And like, there's just, just not- a lot of assumption. And so that's why I was saying, you know, there just has to be like an open dialogue about where each of you are at. Yeah. And how you feel. And now I, I don't like the term your needs because sex is not a dire need, like a need to survive. It is, it is an intimacy, it's a unity, it's a privilege, um, but you can live without it. But communicating to one another like your desires and what you're going through and being willing to listen to both people. I do think that as a wife, sometimes I, I would feel like, well, I carried the baby and I birthed the baby and I nursed the baby. So that's my trump card and everything that you care about is <laughs> doesn't matter because I'm the one who did all this. And that isn't the right heart or mentality either. And so we just have to keep that verse you read from Romans 12 that outdo one another in showing honor, show brotherly affection. How would I treat another person who is an image bearer of God? That doesn't change when it's my spouse and it doesn't change when it's my spouse and me going through pregnancy and postpartum. So Obviously, this is a really tender time, and we're just sharing kind of our experience and things we've had to work through with communication and our thoughts on the matter. But we highly, highly recommend if you're really struggling postpartum to see a counselor because postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety make this so much harder. See a counselor, get the help you need. And I also recommend, um, well, I, I won't say I recommend, but I'll say that I saw my midwife and a functional medicine doctor to get supplements I needed to help support my body postpartum that made a big difference, made sure to stay in community with other people. Josh, you too had to be in community with people, other men to really help support you in that transition. And all of that together will help you in your marriage because parenting little kiddos is no joke. And especially when your body is recovering and you're both tired, it's, it's just a time when you need that support. So it's an exciting time. It also can be a difficult time. And so we just want to encourage you to get the help you need. Okay. We will see you guys next week when we talk about marriage and parenting. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Verity. You can connect with fellow listeners by following me on Instagram at Felicia Masonheimer or on our Facebook page by the same name. 
also visit FeliciaMasonheimer.com for links to each episode and the show notes. 